Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner for three. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's on now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen Dan Dickow hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. Welcome to today's episode of The ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow, for SB Live Sports. Today's guest, someone I respect a tremendous amount Kind of as a player, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but more so as a broadcaster. He's one of the best analysts out there in the college basketball game, none other than Jay Bellis. Jay, how much more golf is in your future before your broadcasting really kicks into high gear? Uh, almost every day until the season starts, uh, at least every day that uh, that I've got the time to get out to the golf course. I'll either hit balls or play until we get to November just because it's so nice out. It's the best time of year to play. And, uh, and if I can play, I'm going to play. Well, you're pretty active on social media in regards to some of your golf tournament wins, maybe not as much with your losses. Uh, give us an example of where your game's at right now. Well, I've actually, because I've physically been feeling better over the last year or so, I'm playing better than I have in a while. And that's been kind of nice. You know, my back hasn't been bothering me, so I can actually swing the club. So my partner, Alan Hobbs, who played at Wake Forest and I just won the Charlotte Country Club member member, often referred to as the fifth major. Uh, so we've been we've been uh, kind of crowing about that a little bit. So that, that was kind of fun. Awesome. Well, I, I like to get out and play. Obviously, with a big family, I don't play as much as I'd like. But is there one golf course that you've played in your golf career when you look back and say, I want one more shot at that course, whether it was because it's a, a tremendous course or you didn't have your A game and you really want to play well at that particular course? It would be Pine Valley Golf Club in uh, in New Jersey, and it doesn't matter whether you play well or poorly there. Uh, anytime you play there, you want to go out and play again because it's it's the number one rated golf course in the country, I think, in the world, and uh, and it is just magnificent in every way. And you're always one shot away from a disaster, but every every good shot you hit, uh, you'll never forget. I've heard nothing but good things about that course. I haven't had a chance to play it. I did play Pebble Beach. I chipped in on 18 for birdie. Uh, so I've got some great memories there. Have you been out to Pebble at all? I've been I've been out there. I've never played Pebble. I've played the other courses there, but I've never played Pebble. So that's, that's still on my bucket list. And, uh, and anywhere you play that you play the 18th hole well, it doesn't matter what happened on the first 17, as long as people saw you. Uh, chip in, then you could just pretend like, you know, it's routine. That happens all the time. That is true. Well, you and I, I'm sure, could talk about golf uh, at length. And at some point, hopefully we can get out on the links again together. But let's jump into the the, the big stuff. And that's college basketball. It's right around the corner. Uh, practices are kicking off into high gear. I've been to a couple of Gonzaga practices so far. They look loaded, but they look like they have a lot of youth and inexperience. What's your take with the national landscape and the teams that are at the top in your eyes this year? 
We've got more uh, returning talent this year than it seems like we've had in past years. Now, part of that may be due to the pandemic and you've got players that had an additional year provided by the NCAA due to the, the, the tournament that was lost in 2019 or 2020, whatever, I'm going to lose track of time, 2020. So um, I, I think we'll have older teams this year. Uh, it won't look drastically different, but uh, for the teams that, that do have older players, I think they'll see a great benefit from it. I, I do think, Dan, it'll look very similar up at the top. I mean, there are a number of, of quote-unquote mid-major teams that I think are going to be really good this year, but I, I still think the, the top 10, top 15 is going to be a, maybe a shuffled usual suspects, but we're going to see a lot of the same teams there. Uh, and I don't know whether people think that's good or bad. Uh, we get the beauty of the tournament where you have teams that can break through that maybe didn't have uh, just the most consistent years. Uh, you know, as long as like Oregon State last year, you can get off on a great run. I mean, they were an overtime period away from being out of the tournament altogether if they had lost to UCLA in the Pac-12 uh, tournament. And yet they you know, get all the way to the Elite Eight. You know, we can have things like that happen where that's impossible in football. But, but I do think the best teams identify themselves, as we saw last year with Gonzaga and Baylor. You know, they were the best teams all year and wound up in the title game together. I'm actually recording a podcast with Wayne Tinkle tomorrow. So I'm excited to hear about the changes maybe in his team and what he's looking forward to with, with them for this upcoming season. But one of the biggest changes in the offseason was name, image, likeness. You've been very uh, upfront and, and outspoken in, about it. Has there been anything with NIL that's been a surprise to you? Uh, not really. I mean, I, I think it's been a surprise how, uh, how smooth it's been. Now, some, some coaches that are more old school in their thinking don't think it's smooth because they, any change they're not in favor of. But I think it's been pretty smooth and easy. Now, are we going to have bumps in the road? Uh, with this, of course. I mean, but, but I've told some of the coaches that, that have been vocal in their complaints that geez, you know, if the players had never been allowed to drive and they were allowed to drive now, you'd probably be saying, oh, what's going to happen now? You know, they have to pay insurance costs and they have to have their cars registered and keep their license current. And geez, they got to maintain the car and who's going to pay their monthly payment, you know, stuff like that. I mean, it's so ridiculous. Um, you know, the players can drive. Now, is somebody going to get a parking ticket or get in an accident or not, you know, not uh, have their insurance paid up properly? Yeah, that, that could happen. But the overwhelming majority are going to do just fine. And that's what we're seeing with NIL. Uh, it's still early, um, but the world is still firmly on its axis and, and we're not having any problems. And the football stadiums are full. So the players, you know, this doomsday talk about how people are going to turn away. They don't want to watch <laughs> pros. This is what makes college great. It is not what makes college great. Um, it, it has nothing to do with it, actually, because we've changed, as you know, you know, we've changed what athletes have been allowed over the years, and it's never affected the game negatively. And this won't either. Yeah, I think it's overdue that they have the ability to make some money. But I do think that over the next couple of years, there will be tweaks and adjustments to make it as beneficial for student athletes as possible. Um, it'll just be a kind of a work in progress, I think. You've been releasing your positional top 10 lists. The one that caught me off guard uh, was your number one small forward, Len Bias. Um, obviously, I was too young. I didn't really get a chance to watch him play. I've seen a number of documentaries and highlights. You played against Len Bias, if I'm not mistaken, when I look at the timeline. Give us 
your breakdown of Len Bias and just how good a player he was and he would have been at the NBA? Well, Len Bias was my year in school. We graduated high school in 1982, college in 1986. So we played against each other a lot in college in the ACC. And he he played at Maryland. He was ACC player of the year two times, uh, averaged well over 20 points per game his last two seasons at, at Maryland. And Dan, he was really what I would call the perfect uh, big guy. Um, he was 6'8", could really shoot it, a magnificent athlete. Uh, you know, we used to refer to him as Superman because that's the way he projected on the court. Uh, a fantastic jump shot, um, you know, rebounded at a high level, shot 85, 90% from the free throw line. Um, he was the number two overall pick in the 1986 NBA draft behind Brad Darty of North Carolina, who was drafted by the Sixers and later traded to the, the Cleveland Cavaliers and had a Hall of Fame caliber career there. I would have challenged Michael Jordan. Uh, as the best player in the NBA. Uh, th that's how good he was. And look, it's easy to say, uh, it's easy to say something like that because nobody knows the answer. But if you saw him play in college uh, or played against him, you knew. I mean, that guy was the real deal. And I was telling this somebody the other day, and I'm, I'm curious to see if you'd agree with this. You know, we're kind of talking about our roles as, as analysts and all that stuff. And I, I told the guy, I go, look, you know, we, we have our opinions and I think, you know, we can be right or wrong. Uh, you know, I tend to tend to think we're close to the mark, but I, the only ones who really know are the ones who play against these guys. Once you play against somebody uh, and do it enough times, you know how good they are. And we knew how good bias was. Uh, he was the real deal and still one of the saddest things from my basketball life that, that he didn't live to, to realize his, uh, his professional potential. Yeah, I would agree with that because there are so many times I get asked about other random players that I played against in the NBA and they're like, people ask, that player couldn't have been that good. I just would be, take a step back. To get to that level, you have to be really good. To be a starter, you have to be uh, absolutely amazing. And I don't think enough people understand just uh, how difficult it is to, to be at that level. So um, great stories on Len Bias and, and observations. With the upcoming college basketball season right around the corner, how much prep do you do um, between, say, you know, mid-October until the first games really kick off, you know, that 10th or so of November? What's, your, what's a typical day look like, I guess? It, it's pretty much year-round, the, the preparation I do, Dan. Um, it's changed a little bit over the last couple of years because we haven't been able to travel as much. So, and, and you haven't had the same opportunities for camps and things like that during the summer. So I used to, you know, I used to work the Nike skills academies every summer that got me on the floor with the best players in the country in high school. And, you know, got to see them really early and work with them. Uh, and I, I work with Under Armour now, um, but you, they don't have the same camps that they used to because of the pandemic. So uh, it kind of took you off the road. And then around this time of year, uh, in, in the past, I would be on the road seeing teams practice. So I would go to 15, 20 different practices during the course of, you know, October into November. Uh, and the pandemic really curtailed that. Um, but that that hasn't been that big of a deal. I mean, it, it, I used to be kind of Final Four ready in November. And I don't have to be that anymore because I'm going to see all these teams by December anyway. Um, so it's not that it's not as big of a deal. Um, but I, I still do the same thing I always did. I keep pretty detailed scouting reports of teams and players and um, you know, I'll, I'll in the next probably two weeks, 
I'll be uh, on the phone with with the. Uh, I know some of the games I have early on. You know, I'll I'll be doing the Maui tournament. And that that's in Las Vegas, oddly enough. Uh, and I'll have Gonzaga and uh, Duke and Kentucky and those teams early, Michigan State. Uh, so I'll be on the horn with those coaches trying to get, you know, sort of early scouting reports on their teams so that when I see them in practice, I've got a, I've got a, a basis uh, of what they think. And then I'll, I'll add in, you know, what I see. Um, so it, it kind of, I kind of add on from season to season of what I had before. And I, you know, I mean, I've got some of the, uh, I just happen to have it here. Funny you asked about that, but I've got uh, like some of my scouting reports from from last year. You know, I keep all these things with me uh, all the time, and uh, and so I can you know I can take a look at those in preparation for a team I'm going to see. Uh, and things change from year to year, but you're just kind of adding on to it. As you are ESPN's probably top analyst on the college basketball side, a lot of their schedule is built around the best games throughout the course of the year. Do you have much influence in asking, hey, I really would like to be a part of this game or I want to cover this game? How does that work for you? Because I know for myself, you know, working for a couple different networks, uh, I'll get game offers. I don't necessarily get to ask for certain games. How does it work for you? I don't either. I mean, I don't ask. So, you know, I'm in a position now I've been with the company for 20 plus years. So I I have a pretty good idea that my, what my schedule is going to be. I know it's going to be good and I'm very grateful for that, but I'm not ringing my boss's phone saying, Hey, you know, it turns out this Indiana Ohio state game is going to be higher rated than this other game. I I don't care about stuff like that. What I've always done Dan, since I first started um, because there is a component of this, you look at your schedule and and we all have kind of feelings, I guess you'd call it insecurity of, of where do I stand, you know, on the depth chart. Uh, I would look at my schedule at the start of the year and say, am I happy with this? And if I was happy with it, I would put it away and not worry about it. So if I turned the TV on and I saw a game that maybe people thought was better, I wasn't sitting there going, why, why am I not doing that? I wouldn't ask that question. And I'm the same now. Uh, I look at my schedule and I'm, I'm always thrilled with it. And, uh, and I, you know, my boss will call once in a while and say, hey, I've got, I've got a game. Here. I've got a couple of games here I'm, I'm choosing among. Which one would you rather have? And I'll say, which one, sir, you know, do you think is better for, for the company? I mean, what do you want me on? And uh, so if he gives me a choice, my boss happens to be a he, but if my boss gives me a choice, I'll take it. But I'm not asking for anything. I'm, I, I, I feel that's his job is to, uh, to determine where to plug us in. I mean, I never asked Coach K if I could go into the game. He just put me <laughs> in when he thought when he thought I could do something. I feel the same way about this. What kind of look would Coach K have given you had you said, hey, uh, Coach, I think I need to go in now? I think he would have said, hey, you dumbass. If I thought you should be in, I would have put you in already. Like, sit down and shut up. <laughs> well, let's stay on the topic of Coach K. Last year, Roy Williams retires. This offseason, Coach K announces this is his last year. Those two have kind of been the faces of college basketball. Um, who do you see taking over that mantle? I think I think some of them have already taken it over. You know, I think you'll certainly have John Calipari and Tom Izzo and Mark Few and Jay Wright, uh, Tony Bennett, that whole that whole group that have established themselves. And there are others in there, uh, but have established themselves as the as the best coaches in the game. Uh, I, I don't know. You know, I, I think Fewey and and Jay Wright, those guys, Izzo um, have built up the kind of face of game credibility 
that you would need. Um, it's just hard to, to imagine sort of somebody's going to step into Coach K's position of being, you know, he's had 41 years at Duke and they've all been on television. That, that's why, and the internet and all that, that's why I think it's going to be the hardest act to follow in the history of college sports is because of the platform uh, that he's had, not just the, the incredible success. And, you know, it's just hard to imagine. I mean, you know, Few's been there, what now, 20 some years, you know, early 20 years, 22, whatever. And it, when, when he first took over for Dan Munson, um, it was unimaginable that anybody would do what he's done. And, and I think when Coach K started at Duke, all this was unimaginable. So uh, to, to think that someone is going to step into that position is equally unimaginable, although somebody will. Uh, somebody will take over the mantle as the, the preeminent coach in the game, uh, whether they experience the kind of um, notoriety that Coach K has experienced. Um, that's another question because, man, that, that, that box that, that has televised these games all these years is really powerful. He, he's, coach K is way more uh, visible uh, and, uh, and way more well-known than even John Wooden was same thing with Nick Saban at Alabama. I mean, he, he's more well-known than Bear Bryant was just because of the, the platform he has at, at Alabama football relative to Bryant's. Who do you think has a harder act to follow then? Would it be John Shire as opposed to Roy Williams? I mean, you touched on it a second ago, but do you think which one is more difficult? I, I think they're both difficult, um, but the more difficult challenge, I think, will be Duke. Um, you know, Hubert Davis taking over for Roy Williams. One, he's 50 years old and, you know, he played 12 years in the NBA, played at Carolina. Um, I think being 50 makes it a little bit easier. And the fact that, uh, you know, Roy Williams is really stepping away. I mean, he really retired. Coach K is still going to be there. Uh, he's still going to be in his office. He's going to be there. I don't know if he'll be there every day. But but my guess is he'll be there a lot. And so people are still going to see him there. And uh, and the comparison is going to be um, easy to make. I mean, you know, if John, if something happens, you know, somebody's going to be able to look behind the bench or wherever Coach K sits in the arena. I don't know whether he'll go to the games, but John Wooden used to go to the UCLA games. Um, and that's a high, high standard. And John's 34. I think he is not, not only ready for this, I think he's primed for this. I think he's going to, I believe he's going to do a great job. I think he's an inspired choice, but I, I'm not naive either. It is not going to be easy. And uh, even if he wins 20, you know, 24 games his first year and makes it to the second round of the tournament, they're going to be, which is a, a, a that's success. Um, there are going to be a lot of people say, well, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't that good or this one, you know, Duke, just like Gonzaga now has become a no record program. Your record does not matter. And uh, uh, because like, you know, when when you were playing at Gonzaga and I was playing at Duke, we, we would have years where they put a banner up for the record we put up. Now, nobody even cares what the record is. They, they've, they, they can't remember how many games you win in a certain year because now it's 30 this, 30 that. You know, they won 38 games last year. And now it's about how many championships you win. How many Final Fours did you put the cherry on top? Um, it, it's sad in a way it's it's like that but it's also uh it's also really impressive that that a program can reach that kind of level where where you know your record doesn't matter like most schools given what and, and you know we're talking about Gonzaga and Duke because of where we went to school but given what Gonzaga's done you know any given year that Gonzaga fans might think well that was a disappointing finish 
another program would hang a banner for it and say, that's our best year ever. And that that's kind of the average year at Gonzaga now. It's really remarkable. So true. It is amazing what Coach Few has done. When you look at a number of the other interesting coaching moves, uh, Texas gets Chris Beard, Shaka Smart obviously moved to Marquette for that to happen. Porter, Mo- Porter Mosier at Oklahoma, Tommy Lloyd at Arizona. Which one are you most interested in seeing? Uh, maybe it's not one of those coaches. Which which coaching change are you most interested in following closely? Well, you identified it. I, I think I think Chris Beard at Texas is going to be really compelling to watch. One, he's done a masterful job already at putting a roster together with transfers and and high school players, and then the players that remained uh, when Shaka Smart uh, left and went to Marquette. You know, Chris is an outstanding coach. And he went to Texas, you know, so he's a Texas uh, UT guy. And I think as great a job as I think Shaka Smart did and as great a coach, I'm a huge believer in Shaka. Um, they needed an energy in there that, that, that they didn't have. And I think, I think Texas fans were becoming a little bit restless. Uh, and, and I think this gives them a uh, kind of a trampoline effect in energy. Um, the other one, and you identified again, is Tommy Lloyd at Arizona. Um, you know, Tommy had been, as you know him so well, he'd been at Gonzaga forever and was a key cog in, in their recruiting, especially of overseas players. And he's inheriting a what I think is a really good job that's fallen on a little bit of hard times. I'm, I'm hopeful that the NCAA leaves Arizona alone because they left them alone when Sean Miller was there. And, and it ain't right to slam the next guy. And so I, I, I'm hopeful that that happens so that he can get off to a good start and, uh, and establish himself and establish his way of doing things at Arizona because it's a great program that Lute Olson built up and Sean Miller did a good job and all that stuff. Um, but that brand needs to, be, needs to be up there, I think, for college basketball to be really good. I agree. They do need to be good on the West Coast. But I I think to your comment about you hope the NCAA leaves them alone, I don't think anybody can predict what the NCAA does with any of their rulings. You've been uh, an outspoken critic. Um, What would it take to truly fix some of the the NCAA just ridiculous decisions? Well, it would take some better leadership, and they don't have that right now. They they do need it. But uh, on the enforcement side, I think you'd have to pare down the rule book to what you really think is important and then be able to, when you do have violations, be able to quickly and fairly adjudicate it. And that's not that hard to do. Um, but the, the NCAA has its own little kangaroo court. And it's not that there aren't good people involved there. There are. They try hard. But the, the, the system is bad. And, you know, sort of a garbage in, garbage out system. You can't expect to get a good product when you put garbage in. And so what I would say is, is, you know, you have an adversarial system where the NCAA brings charges against the school, the school and the coach and whoever's charged get to defend themselves vigorously. And you have an independent uh, decision maker, uh, an independent, you know, judiciary, if you will. And I think the best way to do that is the American Arbitration Association. You know, most, most high level um, uh, business cases wind up in arbitration. And they're decided by the American Arbitration Association. And there are, are you know, the, the parties decide on who the, the judges are going to be. Uh, the judges make the rules of the case, um, you know, discovery, all that stuff. And it's, and it's binding and it's done in a reasonable short period of time. 
And that's what that's what the NCAA needs. Speed this stuff up, make it fair and uh, and make it independent. And right now they have basically none of that. They, they, they call one of them independent, but, but that independent uh, resolution process hasn't resolved anything yet. So it may be independent, but it, it's so slow as to be non-existent. Yeah, I would agree with the speed factor. There's a number of times where, you know, if you read an article is like, this happened two years ago. Well, you're impacting not just the coaches, but the players and, and the whole entire program. Uh, they do need to speed up their their process of making decisions. Back to college basketball. You're one of the guys that I really enjoy watching. I seem to learn something for myself delivery-wise on my broadcast as well as something about the game. Who do you like listening to when you're watching a game and there's another analyst on it? Well, I don't mean to pun on the question, but the truth is everybody. Um, usually when I watch games, whether I'm watching you or uh, Sean Farnham or Fran Fraschilla or, or Jimmy Dykes, whomever um, at, at our place, Dick Vitale, uh, or when, I, when I'm watching Bill Raftery or you name it, um, I'm, I have a notepad out. I take notes. And, and, you know, there are so many, so many bright minds out there that, you know, I'm not sure how differently we all see the game, but you might pick something out that, that is more important in this particular game or notice something in practice or about a player. Uh, so I'm all, I'm constantly taking notes and I, I probably don't do as good a job of that as I should of, you know, letting my colleagues know, Hey man, I watched this game. You were awesome. You know, stuff like that. I should probably reach out more. But what, what I try to do is when I do hear something from someone that, that I, I make sure I acknowledge it, you know, that, that if I'm on the air and say, you know, I, I heard Dan Dickow on the air the other day say this um, in, in, instead of just, you know, like repeating something. Uh, I don't think that happens all that much anyway. But, uh, but when you do hear a colleague say something uh, that you really appreciate, um, you know, I, I do like to repeat it, uh, especially, especially if I really agree with it. And oftentimes there's so many bright minds out there. Oftentimes I really do agree. SB Live Sports, as you know, a big part of our focus is on high school sports. You and I have talked uh, in, in the past about your high school experience with the advent of so many of these academy schools, these online schools where kids go versus a traditional high school. What are these kids missing that don't stay with their traditional schools? And do you agree with these schools popping up? I don't agree or disagree. It's just the market. And uh, what, what I would say, Dan, is that when I was growing up, and I, I assume the same way with you, I mean, I grew up in just in one area, Southern California, uh, lived there my, my whole life up until I went to college. So I went to grade school with my high school teammates. We, uh, we played together from fourth grade all the way through our senior year of high school. So for us, it was not only about basketball and, and we played baseball too. Um, it, it was about being friends and we played cause it was fun and, and look, it got serious at times and we wanted to do well and we practiced hard, did all the stuff we were supposed to do, but really it was, is about fun. And, uh, and I, I hope, I, I know when my son was playing, my, my kids are 27, 25 now, but then they're out of the house. Well, my son was playing AU ball and all that. Um, all I really cared about was, was, is he having a good time? You know, and not not to the exclusion of doing what you're supposed to do. You wanted them to learn how to compete and all this other stuff. But, um, you know, if we really say that only three or four percent of all high school players are going to go on and play in college and go on and play professionally, whatever, then I really think we have an obligation to make sure that that it's a good experience for the, the players when they're in high school. And the best part of 
of playing. And the one that the, the, the part that's lasted the longest for me has been the relationships I had with my teammates and still have. And if it were just about basketball, uh, I don't think we'd all be as good of friends or as tight and close. Those are all experiences you can't duplicate in anything else. So when you're jumping from school to school, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. That's up to each individual. Um, but when you do that, you're also jumping from relationship to relationship. And, and that's the thing that I think you miss out on is, is you don't have those deep bonds with your teammates that you have when you stick around longer. And I think the lack of those deep relationships and the roots is causing a lot of the transfers at the college level. Something's not going well now. Oh, well, I'll just jump ship and go to the next place. So, um, Jay, I appreciate the time. Uh, I'm looking forward to this upcoming college basketball season. Really quickly, give me your national title pick. I think it's going to be UCLA and Gonzaga uh, as the two best teams, but I don't discount that Michigan, Villanova, Duke, Kansas, all those schools are going to be uh, be right there. But from a talent standpoint, it's hard to match what uh, what UCLA and Gonzaga have. And if they if they got to play again in uh, in the NCAA tournament, I don't think anybody would turn the TV set off because last year's game was epic. And uh, and I think if they played again, we'd see us. Uh, we wouldn't. We might not see a hundred points scored by each team. But I think it'd be a, a heck of a good game. Well, thanks again for joining, Jay. Hopefully I'm not keeping you for too long from the golf course because I know you've got another month or so to get as many holes in as you can. So thanks again. Thanks again, brother. Good to be with you. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.